Okay, we're going to turn to the Bible. Uh, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the Bible, the Word of God. And God, as we come to turn to the Bible, it's our desire to learn, God. We want to come with a humble attitude, Father, and respect this historic, ancient text that isn't just a religious writing, but we believe it's the very Word of God. So God, we're asking as we read from the life of Jesus and some of the great things that you spoke when you were on earth, Lord, we ask that you'd speak to us and you'd enthuse us and you'd expand our thinking and our minds in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. amen. Okay, um, before we get into Mark's gospel, there was a guy and he, was, he wasn't doing too well. He was in hospital named John and his family asked the local minister to come in and you know, just come and say a few things to encourage him, maybe pray with him. And uh, so this, this local minister came in and you know, it wasn't like it was life-threatening. He was, he was doing okay, and it probably he was set to recover, to be honest. But the minister came in, sat down, and as the minister sat down, it was, it was strange. It's like John's condition rapidly deteriorated, I mean, like in front of their eyes. It was uncanny. I thought, well, what's going on here? And he just deteriorated to the point where he was like this. He wanted to write something, so he was kind of gesturing that he wanted a pen and paper. So the minister got, found oh, a piece of paper, Gave it, to, uh, gave it to the guy and gave him the pen. The guy started writing, scribbling something, and then uh, breathed his last and died. And it was tragic. And in the confusion that followed, the minister grabbed a piece of paper and pen, popped it in his pocket, and then that was that. Anyway, a week later, it was the funeral, and the minister was doing the funeral for this guy. As he was drawing things to a close, he suddenly remembered the piece of paper that the guy had written on. And he, he was actually wearing the same suit jacket that he had on at that moment when he was in the hospital. And he said, ladies and gentlemen, I have with me John's last words that he spoke before he died. I haven't even seen them. I haven't read them. No one has heard what they are. And he went to his pocket and he found the piece of paper that he had that day. And he opened it up and he read, Get off my oxygen tube. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the littlest thing, right, can make a big difference, all right? The little details can make a big... Oh, I can see you were all... You thought it was a true story. The littlest details really make a big difference. And uh, this passage we're going to take time to look at this morning is Jesus speaking this parable, parable of the mustard seed. Powerful, powerful thing. The small things have big impacts. My title uh, this afternoon is From Insignificant to Significant. Mark 4, verses 30 to 34. Again, this is Jesus speaking. Again, he said... What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the grounds. Yet when it's planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all the garden plants. With such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them, as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. Jesus used many different pictures and illustrations to describe this thing that he called the kingdom of God. And this thing that's so special, this, this thing that's so incommunicable, he used everyday life examples so that we could somehow grasp this eternal thing called the kingdom of God. And he was describing it to us and using different examples in different ways. What is this thing called the kingdom of God? Well, the kingdom of God, the word kingdom could be replaced with dominion or rule of God. So when you're saying the kingdom of God, you're describing God's rule over the affairs of mankind. If you, as an individual, allow God who made you to lead your life, not that you don't make any choices, but that you make a choice that, God, I'm going to follow your way. I'm going to let what you think mean a lot to me. I, I want to allow you to be my king, and I want to uh, deliberately allow my life to line up with what you want, not just what I want. Wow, it's heavy weight, but it's cool. That means that the kingdom of God is now affecting and impacting your life. That's what it means to be part of the kingdom of God. It means that you've allowed him to be your king. Now, when that happens in the life of an individual, a whole lot of things kick into motion. A whole lot of spiritual laws start happening in that individual's life. And here Jesus is describing one of these powerful principles, these spiritual laws. And it's this, it's like a mustard seed. It will go from being nothing, so tiny, so small, so seemingly insignificant, to becoming great, 
So if you as an individual plug into this thing called the kingdom of God, allow God to have the domain in your life, then you start to progress in life from being here to being there. If a church allows God's dominion, God's way of doing things, to permeate the life of the church, then do you know what? That church will go from just a handful of people to thousands. And Jesus is just in general talking that the whole kingdom of God in itself, it started with Jesus on planet Earth. But now, one third of our world's populations, out of the six billion people on planet Earth, two billion would claim to be followers of Jesus. This kingdom starts a little seed and becomes something great. So let's look at this parable. First of all, Jesus starts by saying, it's, God seems to start with the insignificant, a mustard seed, right? Okay, stewards, can you help us? Stewards are going to give you all a mustard seed, right? You don't eat it, all right? In the last service, everyone was smelling it. I don't know why. That, right? In fact, Andrew McGreen did eat it. Where's Andrew? He's dead, all right. Now, where, where's Andrew? He's gone. Is he being admitted to hospital? Is he there? He's lying, looking very pale at the back. Okay. Don't, anyway, don't eat the mustard seed. I don't know what it does to you, okay? I don't know if you'll poo a tree. Or I don't know what's going to happen, right? <laughs> it just can't be good, all right? So just look at it, okay? Let it entertain you, right? You know, all have a mustard seed. You think you come to church, right? You don't get anything. Yeah, we are generous Scots here. You get stuff from us. Mustard seeds, there we go. Everyone got the mustard seed? Give it, wave your mustard seed in the air when you've got it. If you just did that, I would believe you, right? <laughs> you would agree it's a very small seed, yeah? Very small seed. Okay, this is what Jesus says. He says in verses 30 to 31, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the... Wakey, wakey. Right. No, wrong answer. Okay. It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest... Come on, everybody. It's not even the 10 o'clock service. This is the afternoon, right? You've had your long lie. You've had your cup of coffee. Now you've got your mustard seed, right? Here we go. One, two, three. It's a mustard seed, which is the smallest. Now we're singing off the same flipping song sheet. Smallest smallest seed, but then it says it grows. You plant it in the grounds. It's the smallest, and that's deliberate. Jesus deliberately chose something that was incredibly small. Now you can see it. If you're blind, you can't see it, right? It's really small. It's very minuscule, okay? It is very insignificant. I believe God's trying to tell us something. I believe that God says he starts with the seemingly insignificant. Throughout the Bible, there's hundreds of examples of people who were just nobodies, who became somebodies and achieved great things. Tons of examples. King Saul, an incredible king from the Old Testament. Very powerful king. The first king Israel ever has. The Bible describes King Saul as a guy who is head and shoulders, right? No dandruff. Head and shoulders above all his companions. He was a big guy. He was a hunk like me. He stood towering, right, above everyone around him. Big guy. Big guy. Outwardly, you know what? He's got what it takes to be a courageous leader, kind of king figure who would lead Israel into victorious battles, yeah? But the Bible records in 1 Samuel 15, verse 6, you were once small in your own eyes. Did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel, the Lord's anointed over Israel? In other words, when Saul, even though he was so big, so physically qualified to be king, the Bible says he was small in his own eyes. Therefore, God made him king. God can do something with someone who's not so full of themselves that they don't need God. Are you so full of yourself that you don't need God? Right? You get less than you think. You see, Saul, although he had all the physical qualifications, the Bible says he was small in his own eyes. Right? God, God starts with that. God starts with the small. There's Zacchaeus, tax collector. In Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 5, it says, Jesus entered Jericho, and passing through, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector, right? They were hated in Jesus' day and age, and was very wealthy. He wanted to see Jesus, who Jesus was, but being a very short man, could not, because of the crowds. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I'm going to stay at your house. 
And that would have freaked him out. Because how did he know my name? You see, Zacchaeus was, in his mind, I'm a nobody. I'm the bottom of the pile here. Because I'm a tax collector. I take money from my fellow Jews. And I am very wealthy. I am hated and despised. Because I'm taking money from my people for the Romans. I'm a hated man. I'm a nobody. I'm at the bottom of the poo pile. I'm just a nobody, insignificant. And not only that, he was short. (laughs) Right? How bad could things get? He was short. And this short guy climbs a tree. And Jesus says, I'll start there. He says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm coming to your house for a meal. Me and my kids, um, we have nighttime stories. Because it's lighter nights, we were out playing the other night there in the garden. And uh, so I, I tell them a bedtime story. I decided to tell them, I'm going to tell them a story about Zacchaeus. So we, we, what we do is we act it out. We you know, make it visual for them. And uh, Becky was Zacchaeus, right? She's the only one who could get up a tree. She's five. And uh, Michael was Jesus. And what a great Messiah he made. He was terrific. It all fell apart when Jesus started fighting Zacchaeus. That <laughs> all went horribly wrong there. Uh, it kind of put a wrong slur on who the Messiah really was. <laughs> but see, Becky was up in the tree and Jesus is walking along and I was part of the crowd. And anyway, but here's, here's Jesus starting small. Starts with this, like a little seat here, insignificant, small. You know what? You may think you're an absolute nobody, right? And you know what? It's nothing to do with how you appear. On the inside, you maybe think you're a nobody. You maybe wonder, does God even care or see, Right? God knows your name. He's got a plan for you. He wants to interact with you. Here's another example. It's the Virgin Mary. In Luke 1 and verses 46 to 52, Mary, this is after she's conceived Jesus in her womb. This is her response to God. Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm and scattered those who were proud in their innermost thoughts. He's brought down the rulers from the thrones, but he's lifted up the humble. Here was the situation. Virgin Mary, alas, in her mid-teens, not someone uh, who was recognized publicly, just getting on with it, just moving forward in life, had a fear of God, wanted to honor God with our life. God chose her. God chooses insignificant, seemingly nobodies just to work with. Then there's Peter the fisherman who became an apostle. And this is one day when he'd been fishing all day and had no success, Jesus came along in Luke 5, verses 4 to 8. He said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a cash. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything but because you say so I will let down the nets when they had done so they caught such a large number of fish that the nets began to break so they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them and when they came they filled both boats so full that they began to sink that's a lot of fish right and then Simon Peter when Simon Peter saw this he fell at Jesus's knees and said go away from me Lord I'm a sinful man right? I'm a sinful man. I don't know how you are when you come into the presence of God, right? It freaks me out. He's awesome. He, as we've sang, he's holy. He's absolutely pure, right? Now, you don't know my thoughts, and I don't know your thoughts. Hallelujah, right? Because, you know, what goes on inside our minds sometimes is just wretched and wonky. We say something, oh, you're looking really cool tonight, and you're in the inside, you think, you're, you're, sometimes you're just, we're so hypocritical. We are, right? All of us. We say stuff. We're not with it in the inside. We're, we're wonky. We're thinking bad attitudes. We've got totally wrong thoughts. And sometimes we follow through with it, with our actions as well. But half the time it just goes on in here. You know, we see terrible things going on all over this world, right? Sometimes in incredibly deprived areas of our world, human nature it manifesting itself in horrendous ways people against people and suffering and all this. And you think, man, isn't that so barbaric and so wrong? Do you know what? Human nature, your human nature, my human nature, put in exactly the same circumstances would manifest identically. Identically. Us developed people. Civilized. You know what I'm saying? If we were put in the exact same situation, remove all our comforts, our human nature would manifest in identical ways. 
fundamentally we're sinners. And here's Simon Peter, and Jesus has just done this. He's given him tons of all this fish, right? Amazing. And he's just blown away. And he's saying, you're not just an ordinary man. You're the Messiah. You're God. I'm a sinful man. Get away from me. Get away from me. <laughs> right there, he was humbled, right? But Jesus took that seemingly insignificant man and made him into one of the biggest influences of that generation. That's incredible. He's, it's like the mustard. He's so small, so insignificant. So I've got good news for us is that, you know, whoever you are, right, I don't care how together you think or how together it looks like things are. If we come to him humbly and say, God, who am I? God's going to take you somewhere. And you know what? He welcomes sinners, even though he knows the stuff that goes on, right? Yeah? And even though other people may not forgive you for what you did to them, right? He does, and he can. Doesn't mean it was right, he can forgive you. Isn't that mercy? Isn't that incredible? The most wretched sinner in this room, no matter what they call you, he can forgive you. You may never want anyone to know who you really are and what you really did, but I want to tell you that Jesus Christ knows you better than you know yourself, and he is willing to forgive you, cleanse you, and accept you forever. It's all right, isn't it? So come to him today. Then there's this guy, Saul, who got called, who changed the name to being Paul. Now, Saul, we looked at him last week. Saul was an aggressive Jew. He was anti-Christian as it, as it came, right? He was doing everything he could to, after Jesus had risen again, all the Christians were, everyone was becoming Christians. The churches were exploding in growth. And he was going AWOL, trying to just get rid of these Christians. He just couldn't stand Christianity. And he was imprisoning them. He was causing martyrdom to happen. He was executing them and all sorts of stuff, right? On the way to Damascus, with this in mind, Jesus knocked him off his donkey, roughed him up a little, had a kind of father-to-son talk with him, told him, you're totally off track, get your life in order and follow me. And Saul got his life back in order. And then a wee while down the line, I don't know where it happens, but somewhere in the Bible, somewhere in Saul's life, he changed his name to Paul. He, he stopped being called Saul and he started being called Paul. Now, what's the significance there? Well, you know what Paul means? It means small one or little one, right? And it wasn't that like he suddenly, after becoming a Christian, he, he shrunk. It's that he's just his attitude had changed. You see, I want to say that God starts with the insignificant, right? So maybe you've got to come down a bit and say, Lord, I need you. It's a great place to start. Great place to start. So God wants to take you somewhere. The passage goes on. Jesus in Mark 4, verses 31 and 32, said it's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seeds you plant in the grounds. And when planted, it grows. When what? When planted, it grows. You see, planting is very, very important. You see, your seed there, packed with potential, everything in it that it'll take to get it to its destination in life, a mature, fruitful tree that bears more seeds, right? everything in it that it takes. But you know what it lacks? Commitment to the soil. It lacks commitment to the soil. That's all it needs. That's all that's missing from this equation to greatness. And you see, if, if you're a kind of independent soul just wandering here and there, never really putting roots down, and I'm not talking about getting married here, right? I'm talking about something more significant. In the, the ultimate relationship, if you're never willing to get your roots into God, the one who made you, then ultimately you're not going to totally fulfill it your potential in life. Roots cause shoots to birth forth. Roots give you stability. So when stuff hits, when the brown stuff hits the rotating thing, <laughs> then you know what? You're still there because you've got roots. It's, it's a church, okay? Because <laughs> we're still there because we're, we're, we've got roots. You, you, you just don't budge because you have roots in life. Because circumstances come and go, life hits you, and at all different angles, there's curved balls at you. But you know what? You're solid because you've got roots, and no one sees your roots. No one sees your roots, but you know you've got them, and it makes the world of difference in your life. You see, that seed could grow, but unless it's planted, it won't grow. That seed, when planted, grows. Planted. Are you planted? Are you planted into this thing called the kingdom of God? Are you rooted? in a relationship with the God who made you. Now, what I mean by rooted in that? How do you know you're rooted, right? See if I had a little tree, a little thing, right? And I could pull it up, 
right, with my bare hands, right? It wouldn't be hard. It hasn't got deep roots. But give it a few years and allow, that, allow those roots to go real deep, right? I'd do everything I could, and I'd get a few of you to help me, and we'd be trying our hardest, right? We'd be doing everything, right? But you know that thing just wouldn't budge because the thing's got roots. Now, your relationship with God, right? Is it solid? When stuff happens, are you still there? When temptation comes your way and tries to knock you off track, are you still there? You get your roots. It's un- you, you and God, we're like that. We're inseparable. Or is it kind of like, stuff God, man, this has all gone wrong. Or is it when the hard time comes, your, your faith is conditioned, well, I love God when things are going well. I think he's answering my prayers, but then when everything goes bad, then I'll forget God. It didn't work. God ain't a commodity to work for you. God's always been God and always will be God. Do yourself a favor and plug into him. Connect with him. Are your roots so deep, right? No matter what comes your way and knocks you around, you're just there. You're connected. That's what roots do for you. To illustrate this, there was a, a story way back in communist Russia. And it was in a time when uh, you know, anything but state church was illegal. The, what, you weren't allowed to have any other type of church other than the state church. So there was a, a, a kind of informal secret gathering of Christians uh, happening one Sunday. And in walks these two state police officers with machine guns and kind of barge into the worship service in the middle of the worship and says, right, who is not willing to die for the faith, leave now. (laughs) And all these startled worshippers, kind of half of them wander out, right? And then they they put their machine guns down and said, get their Bibles out. They said, great, some real believers, let's have fellowship. (laughs) How solid are your roots, folks? What would it take for you to quit on God? Thankfully, it probably won't ever come to that. But sometimes we quit when a simple little temptation comes our way. Not the biggie, just the little thing. So are you rooted? These roots, your roots will determine how big you grow in life. Are you rooted spiritually? That will determine what spiritual giant you become in life. Again, be rooted in God. That's a kind of abstract concept. It's kind of ooh, out there. But grounding it for a moment, we say, oh, well, I love God, but... Phew, I go from church to church to church. That ain't about it. You know, because if you're connected with God, you've got to be connected with his people. The, the Bible says church isn't a building. It's his people. So being connected with God means my roots are in church. I've got connections in church. In other words, it's totally practical. It's a practical at work and you're connected in a live church. I'm not even saying this church. There's lots of great churches in the city. But you, you know what? You're connected somewhere. Your roots go down deep. Like if you constantly uprooted a tree and replanted it somewhere else and replanted, oh, I don't like this place, I'll go to this place. And you know what? You would never, ever reach that potential. You could be that great tree, that great fruit-bearing, shade-providing tree that you could be. All, all that, you just got to have a bit of commitment, a bit of longevity, a bit of roots. And these roots will cause you to grow and flourish. Psalm 92 and verses 12 to 14 paints a picture for us of what it means to be rooted planted in the house of God. It says, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Planted in the house of God, they will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green. It's a beautiful picture of this flourishing, established, awesome tree. And the Bible says that's what your life can be like if you're planted in the house of God. See, being committed to God's one thing, but what does it mean on the ground? It means being part of his people, connected, strong. And what comes as a result of being planted? Largeness and significance. Jesus says in Mark 4, verses 32, yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of the garden plants. Largest. Big. Now, we we make no apologies here. We're here to be a big church. All right, we're totesy just now. We're minuscule. We're we're a drop in the ocean. But our dream is to be a big church, thousands gathering every Sunday. Our dream in the next twenty years, by two thousand twenty-seven, is to be one percent of our city. That's five thousand people. By the time I die, I want this church, God willing, to be motoring towards ten percent of our city. That's fifty thousand people. That's that's our dream. Yeah, you just got to go for it. Why not? Eh? Why do we want to be a big church? So, oh, look at us. No, no. Because I reckon this city needs some big churches. And you know what? I'm not under any illusion. I don't want to be 
one big church in the city at the expense of every other church, I think there's going to be lots of great churches in the city, and I really want that. Different expressions, different ways of doing it, but the same message. That's good. That's healthy. That's wholesome. Working in partnership to impact the city. Great. I know there's great churches in this city. There's going to be great new churches starting in this city, but either way, we're going to impact our city. I want to see a big church emerge for his glory and for the benefit of others. That's why we want a big church. Not some big, impersonal mass of people, but a big church where every person counts, where when you come, you feel so important and feel so special, like you're the only person there. A church full of thousands of people just wanting to meet with God and uh, be real and encounter God and meet with each other and make a difference with their lives. That's our dream. And we make no apologies for that. Is it, is it right personally, okay? Is it right for you personally to desire to be great? Is that a right desire? Sometimes this word great has been hijacked by the secular world. But is it right fundamentally for you to desire to be great? Jesus tackled this issue when his disciples were debating this. They were all discussing, well, who's going to be the greatest when Jesus has passed on? Jesus said, you know, I'm, I'm going to redefine greatness for you. And, and in Matthew's gospel, chapter 23, verse 11, he said, the greatest among you will be your servant. The greatest among you will be your servant. Now, this is exciting. This is what true greatness is all about. You see, greatness is not about getting people to serve you. You see, Jesus didn't say, I haven't come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. Now, he wasn't, he wasn't on planet earth for him, right? He was on planet earth for you and me. He came for us. Isn't that an incredible example of greatness? You see, if you were a boss, okay, and you had a bunch of employees who were all wanting to be great, and their way of get, becoming great was to fight their way to the top, no matter how many people they stood on, as long as I can get my career path on track to get to the top, your company would be a shambles. You'd have a whole lot of hurt people, right, who have been trodden on by everyone else, and you'd have a few numpty, small-minded individuals who are just in it for themselves. And they're not even interested in you. In fact, if, if they could, they would take your job. <laughs> okay, the alternative, Jesus' alternative. If you want to be great, serve. Imagine you're an employee in a company and your attitude is this. In this company, I'm going to enrich the lives of all the other employees. I'm going to work really hard. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to make them happy that they're working with me. And boss, you know what? I don't always agree with you, but I'm, I'm going to do my best to help your vision to happen. You know what? They're the kind of people you want to employ. They're the kind of people that get promotion, don't they? Surely. And Jesus isn't just giving us a, he's not just saying, by the way, this is how you get to greatness. Serve and you'll get to greatness. He's he's not just telling us the way to get there. He's telling us what greatness is. He's telling us what it looks like when you get there. He's telling us that actually true greatness, it's not like, okay, to get there you serve, but then when you get there, ha, everyone's going to serve me. No, 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 no. You see, true greatness, the definition, isn't just about how to get there. It's also about what it's like when you arrive. You're a great person because your attitude and your total agenda in life is not you. That's why you're just so sad, because you're living for you. That is why you're down on things, because your whole world orbits around you, and you were never meant to live that way. Your whole world is meant to orbit around the God who made you, and then living to make a difference in the lives of others. A bit of loving for yourself as well. Once things are in priority and perspective, then wow, things get good. So Jesus taught that true greatness is serving, not, not being served. So if you're a true great person, then you're serving others. We've got, a, just so you know, as a church, we want to be a, a great church. And that doesn't just mean great in terms of big attendance. It means we are doing everything we can to serve our city. Right, we do lots of things. Let me just flag up one of the things that's happening in a month's time. We're going to do a day of healing. It's going to be on Sunday the 19th of August. And we sometimes run healing meetings, which are terrific. Many miraculous happenings take place. People with arthritis get healed. Different uh, conditions are healed. It's incredible. Brilliant. Ivan's coming to do a Sunday evening healing meeting, 6.30 service. But also, we're going to be doing the 10 o'clock and the 12 o'clock are going to be healing services as well. So on the Sunday, the 19th of August, is going to be a day of healing. All right? We're going to put out thousands of leaflets. We're going for 50,000 leaflets around the city, and we're going to put out lots of advertising in the newspapers, and basically we're going to let the city know that uh, they can come along. And let's, let's, let's all together work towards this. Let's pray together. Let's invite our friends, and uh, let's hand out leaflets in the communities. And my goal is, on that day, that we have our highest attendance ever, right, in all our services. We up for that? 
Yeah, let's do that. All right? Sunday, the 19th of August. But why are we doing that? We're doing it to serve the city. Greatness. Isn't it great? Just becoming great as a person. Becoming great as a church. But many Christians, many people, that's right where they stop. That's it. That's where they draw the line. That's where, okay, Jesus, you can finish your parable. Now, that was terrific. Thank you very much. I've gone from a seed to being a great tree. But that's not where Jesus stops. And actually, the most important bit comes now. And it goes from significance, greatness, to influence. Jesus goes on in verse 32. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants. With such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. See, many people, their agenda in life is to arrive at their destination. Hey, hey, I feel so fulfilled. But you know, it's got to go beyond that. The purpose of you becoming great is to provide shelter. The purpose of you becoming great as an individual is that you can be a blessing. The purpose of us becoming great as a church is that we can enrich and provide some shade, much needed shade for a world out there that's so in desperate need spiritually, emotionally, practically, whatever the needs are, that's our agenda. Meeting the needs. There's a great church in Grand Rapids, Michigan, called Mars Hill Church. Terrific church. Anyone heard Rob Bell? Yeah, some of you have got some of his books. Great. He's the most downloaded preacher on iTunes. Great. Go, go get hold of some of his stuff. Really good. Rob Bell. Now, Rob Bell, uh, their vision this year, now he's, he's in his mid-30s, and his church has gone from nothing to about 10,000 people in 10 years. That's just incredible. Okay? And he's made a, this, at the beginning of this year, they, they started with their mission statement. They, they call it their X, Y, and Z. One of their mission statements this year is, as a church, they're going to take 4,000 families in the poorest economy in the world, which is in Burundi, under their wing as a church. Isn't that fantastic? Whoa. Yes. That's like wealthy America, 10,000 people. That's, now, you've got, now you've got voting power. Now you've got wealth power. Now you've got people power. You've got a lot of people there, right? You're using your greatness to provide some shade. Isn't that fantastic? That's true greatness. And what, what's happened there is they take it and they're going to, any, any of those families where they've got grass, they're going to put tin, right? And they're going to help people get into employment. And they're going to work uh, to, to bring crime down. And they're just going to practically use their skill and their money and their energy to make a difference in 4,000 families this year in Burundi. That's fantastic. Isn't that great? That's what true greatness is. I think it's Hillsong Church in Sydney. They've made a decision. I don't know how many thousands go there. I think it's about 14, 15 plus thousand people now go to Hillsong Church in Sydney. Great church. And, you know, as a church, they've taken under their wing, so I've heard, a town in Africa. And they've basically sponsored every child in that, in that town or village. And they send trips of people there all the time. And they support. And they're working with the local economy. And the, you know, they're just making a difference. They're using their greatness to influence. Destiny, through in Glasgow, we've set up this call center. And the plan is that we we're going to start it there and then run it here and all over the UK. We're calling it Destiny Angels. And the plan of action is this. If anyone's in need, there's a hotline that you can call. And people will answer the call. And you will tell them the needs and that we will try and do our best from people within our congregations, whatever it may be, whether it be practical, whether it be counseling advice, whether it be spiritual help they need or prayer for healing or whatever. We're going to send people to meet the need. Isn't that terrific? We're not just using our greatness so that, hey, look at us, we're great. We're saying, you know what? We've got an agenda here. We want to be a great tree that provides some shade. Uh, I don't know if you were seeing the news recently, BBC. There was a guy called... Sir Tom Hunter, and he is Scotland's, anyone see that thing, article on Sir Tom Hunter? He's Scotland's wealthiest homegrown guy, and he had, he's basically a billionaire now, and he's, he grew up in Ayrshire, and he uh, worked, he sold uh, trainers from the back of his van, and then eventually he moved, he, he took a lease out in a shop front, and he started selling trainers from there. And then he started many branches. And then it got sold on to JJB Sports. So, and he made millions upon millions. And he's doing so well for himself. Very well for himself. And he was on the news because he has just made the biggest pledge ever that any Briton has ever made. And he said, I'm going to pledge billion pounds to charity. Isn't that fantastic? 
And in the interview with him, oh, it was, it was brilliant. You can, you can go on the BBC website and you can, you can see the, you can stream the, the interview. It's really good. And he's talking about how those people who just want to earn so much so they can retire early than do nothing on a beach somewhere, he said, that's so boring and rubbish. And I, actually, I think it's immoral. I personally think it's immoral. I'd slap them. Anyone like that? <laughs> <laughs> right, get down here. Because you know what? I, I think it's an outrage. Because if you've got that much ability that you can make that much money, then go for it. Make the money, right? And pay your way for the rest of your life. And then see from then on, instead of going sitting on a beach, keep working really hard and the rest of it, give it away to someone else who needs it. All right? Because there's a ton of people out there who are going through hell. They need you. Right? So stop thinking of yourself and get a life. That's a verbal slap, okay? <laughs> so this guy, Tom Hunter, says, you know, that's, he, he, he said it. He didn't say it as well as I did, but he basically said that, okay? But he also said, I, I thought this was great. He said, he said this, with great wealth comes great responsibility. And he said, since he's made his purpose in life to raise as much dosh as possible to give it away, the motivation that comes, he said, is incredible. He said, I used to just make money for me. Now that he's got this totally different agenda, he said, the motivation is incredible. I want to encourage each of you. And it's not all about money. Giving is so much more than just that, all right? We'll talk about that in a moment. But what about you high earners in this room? What about you make it, challenge yourself, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give away this many thousand this year. There you go. And I'm not, just, I'm not just saying this to earn money for the church here. By all means, give to the church, that's right. But give beyond that. It's about meeting the needs of the person that you met, because God will bring people your way, partly to test you, but partly to give you an opportunity to be like Jesus. Absolutely. And no one else will hear about them, but they'll experience your goodness, all right? And, it, you know, how about just challenge yourself, right? This year, I'm going to feed 50 kids in Africa. If you're a high earner, go for it. Or if you're a low earner, go for it as well. You'll become a high earner. <laughs> Seriously, it's just, just get a terrific agenda for life. And you know what? And all of a sudden, you throw yourself into God's agenda. God takes your needs personally because you take his needs personally. One place it says in Proverbs, if you give to the poor, you lend to the Lord. All right? He takes personally your giving to the poor. He takes that personally. We've just given ourselves a goal as a church this year to give £30,000 from our church giving to Africa and to our Indian orphanage and to some of the works we're doing. Last year, we gave £22,000. This year, we've increased it to about 30000 at least 30000 we want to give away. That's to helping people. We're also giving probably more than that away to missions work. So it's going to be at least 20% of our income as a church we're giving away. With great wealth comes great responsibility. Here's a new work ethic, and this is a revolution, folks. Listen to this. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 28 says, Let he who is stealing must steal no longer. All right, does that help anyone here today? Good, good, right. But must work. <laughs> Revolutionary concept, but must work. Okay, so some of you need to hear that, right? You need to get yourself a job, right? Get a job. No one fancies me. Well, get a job and wear some aftershave. Seriously. <laughs> right? No one's going to fancy you, okay? Get a job and wear some aftershave. But must work doing something useful with his hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Incredible. You know what the Bible's saying? It's saying don't work for a, a living. It says work for a giving. Wow, that's exciting. Now you've got a reason to get up in the morning. Now you know why you want to do your nine-to-five job. Here it says, let him who steals must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those who have needs. That's incredible. Now, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't enjoy a nice holiday and a big car and house. No, no problem. It's fine. Just things. You're a child of God. You deserve things. You're a super person. You are. Don't let them be your gods, but get things in perspective. Paul writing to Timothy says, instruct those who are rich in this world not to be conceited or set their hopes on money, which is so uncertain, but on God. But then it says, but be generous. Encourage them to share. As God gives to each one richly to enjoy. Part of being a good steward of your money in God's sight is that you enjoy it. God has no problem with you having things, enjoying a good life, going to the cinema, going on holidays, no problem. But just get things in perspective. Are you working for a living or are you working for a giving? Are you, living, are you in this thing called life for you? If you are, you'll be a miserable person and you'll die unfulfilled. I'm, I'm trying to equip you, right, to die happy. I'm trying to equip you so that when you stand before God at the end of your life, you're so happy and so excited because there's, 
hundreds and thousands of people that you helped because you, you little sunshine, you worked real hard and you did everything you could to make a difference in the lives of others. Fantastic. Great. Quasi was telling me about a guy, Chris Gardner, and I hadn't heard of him before. Apparently, has anyone seen that film, Will Smith film, In Pursuit of Happiness? Yeah. Uh, about this guy, Chris Gardner. The true story, the guy's still alive today. In the 80s, he was left homeless with the care of a toddler son in San Francisco. Bad situation. Didn't know anyone. It's amazing you can be in a city and everything's hustle and bustle, yet you, you could feel incredibly isolated. That's his situation. But he refused to let go of his son. He didn't want to give his son up for adoption. And he refused to let go of his dream of making a difference with his life. You know, he, he just struggled by. He, he would often, he, he became friends with a local church pastor and uh, he was allowed to stay in his, in his accommodation for a while. And he spent some time, some nights sleeping in subways, in the toilets and subways with his toddler. I mean, horrendous. But in the midst of all that, okay, one day he was in town and this guy pulled up in a Ferrari. Nice car. And he asked the guy, what do you do for a living? <laughs> and the guy pointed at this big building and he said, I work there in stocks and shares. So following on from that, cut a long story short, he went and got on a training program to work in a company in stocks and shares. Now, no one knew that he was homeless. No one knew that he went back at evenings trying to figure out how to to get money to eat and some place to stay. And then he spent his evenings trying to arrange a bit of childcare for his kid for the next day so that he could go and train, right? But he got through this training program and he got a job, an apprenticeship. He started working his way up through the ranks to the point where he's become this multimillionaire. And you know what he's doing now? And we think, good on him, that's great. But Jesus' parable kept going, didn't it? Jesus went on to say, this great tree provides some shade. So this guy, right, with all his success and all that now is going back to work with that pastor in that neighborhood, working with the homeless, using his skills and money to make a difference in the lives of others. Isn't that great? Wow! Martin Luther King Jr. said, an individual hasn't started even living until he can rise above the individualistic concerns to the broader concerns of all humanity. Life's most urgent and persistent question is, what are you doing for others? What shade can you provide Fact is, if you're part of this thing called the kingdom of God, you're under God's rule and domain, then your life has already kicked into gear. You've gone from this little mustard seed that you've all got in your hands here. You're moving on track to becoming a great tree. God's taking you somewhere. That's good news. Life ain't static. With God, as you're walking with him, as every day you, Lord, I want to be under your rulership. I want to be under you, King Jesus. I want to follow you. I want to please you. You know what happens? Because the fact is, you do live to please someone, okay? It's either yourself, all right, your lusts, your desires, or someone else's agenda, or you could serve the God who you should serve, who made you, all right? So if you're living that way, you're going, you're growing, you're becoming this tree. But listen, what shade can you provide? Start thinking of that. Start thinking, what shade can I provide? It might be that you're a philanthropist, the thing, right? If you're one of them and you can make a lot of money, that's your gift, that's great. Then as I say, it's not all about money, but if you can do that and make a lot of money and make a big difference with that money, then you go make as much as you can. And don't do the retirement thing and lie on a beach, right? Don't do that. You'll get a slap. So, or you could be an odd job man or woman. You, you, you can just do things. You're good at DIY, great with your hands, able to make things happen, right? It's not like you're a high earner, but you've got that in his ability. You know, there's tons of people who just can't do things. You could help them. Or you could be a mechanic and summon, I know plenty of people in this church who want referrals, people who cannot afford to fix their car. That when it comes to MOT, they're really panicking, okay? Give me a wave if you've ever been there. All right. Now, who would like to be the car mechanic that helps them out at that moment? Because that's painful, okay? Who would like to be the car mechanic that helps them? Any car mechanics? Okay, because you know what? You could be that car mechanic. And we so often think, ah, oh, but car mechanic, that's my nine to five. No, 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 come on. Hey, trees, come on. Bigger life, folks. You see, your calling in life isn't just your nine to five. Your calling in life is your 24 seven. That's calling. It might be that you have a nine to five job, but your calling in life is so much bigger than your nine to five job. Now, it might be that your nine to five job lines up with your calling and good on you. That's the best place to be in life. Great. And if you're not in that place, try and get to that place where your nine to five lines up with your, your calling but your, your nine to five ain't your calling. Your 24 seven is your calling. And what on earth are you all about just doing things for money? What? I won't do it if I'm not paid for it. What? Come on. You could save someone emotional pain. Go help them, car mechanic. 
Go help them philanthropists. If you're a counsellor, you've got an ability with people. Now, maybe that's never been called anything, but you've got the seed of potential of becoming a great person with people. Then go get some training. Go help some people. We've got Roddy, a professional counsellor here. There's many other counsellors in, in the room here. And it's, it's a service we want to put on as a church, but also there's many great organisations outside of the church who do counselling, helping people in this world so full of heart. If you're a good educator, awesome. Now, do it in your nine to five, but how about also helping out with the youth work or the kids' church, right? How about using this calling from God, not just to pay your bills, but actually to, to think a bit bigger? Maybe you're, maybe you're just good at writing little notes to people. Well, you go write notes, folks, because that could save someone's life. That word of encouragement, given a bit of prayerful thought and written at the right moment, could be all they need just to keep them going in life. You could be passionate about sports. Tom here, our bassist, passionate about sports, started a sports ministry helping people, helping kids, high school kids, potentially dropping crime, getting them off the streets, giving them something purposeful, a good way to channel their energies. You could be artistic. You could be a construction worker. You could be a manager. You've got management skills. Well, use them. Don't just use them in your nine to five to pay your bills. Do that and be the best manager you can be and let the people under you really feel happy that they're under you. All right? Let their life be great. But also use your skills. Why not give, it, give some away to the voluntary sector? Why not serve in the church with some of your skills? Why not serve in some charities? Why not make a difference with your management ability to help make things happen that will potentially help many, many people? You see, it's all about who are we living for. It's all about making a difference with our lives. So I want to challenge us this morning, including myself. Let's live a bigger life. Let's live a bigger life. Must the seeds you've got in your hands. Hold them there. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this parable. You've given us this challenge that we've got to go from being a mustard seed to becoming a great tree. And not just a great tree, but a great tree that provides shade. God, our desire, God, is that personally, as individuals, just like we're holding this little seed, God, we are so insignificant in many respects. But personally, God, insignificant as we are, we're asking you, please, God, help us to reach our potential and provide shade for others. Please, God, let me stand before you at the end of time, having helped many. God, as a church, just like this little seed in our hands just now, God, we place this church into your hands. God, we are a drop in the ocean. We're only a few hundred strong. God, please, God, for the sake of the city and for the sake of the people who we're going to help and for the sake of your name, God, would you allow us to grow into the multiple thousands for your glory in Jesus' name. God, we thank you for your great kingdom and we want to be personally people who are rooted in this kingdom, rooted in our relationship with you, that God, that is the foundation, that is the secret roots in our life that gives us the stability when stuff happens. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Take a moment just to pray your own response. Think through some of the things, maybe something specifically has challenged you. Take a moment to pray. Talk to God about that. Maybe you're here today and you have never made a special commitment to live your life for God. Or maybe at some point, some while back in the past, you made some form of commitment and I don't know what's happened, whatever it is, today you're off track. You're not following God anymore. You're not living your life for Him. If that's you, I want to give you the opportunity to make a commitment today. Come on. Make a courageous commitment to live for the God who made you and who did everything for you. He sent his son Jesus, who died on that cross, paid the price for our sin. Three days later, he rose again, and right now, by his spirit, he's here in this room. And today, you have an opportunity to commit your life to serving him. And that's not becoming necessarily a member of this church. As I said earlier, there are many great churches in the city. This is about your relationship as an individual with the God who made you. Today, I'm urging you, please, make that commitment to live for him, not for yourself. If that's you today, then I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. 
And very simply, I'm going to pray a prayer. It's a prayer of commitment. And I invite you to pray, repeat this prayer after me. Not out loud. It's not to do with who he is. It's between you and God. If this is your desire that you want to commit yourself to following God, then repeat this prayer after me just now. Pray, dear Lord God, I thank you that you love me. Thank you, God, you're my creator, you're my maker. God, I thank you that you demonstrated your love for me. 2,000 years, Jesus, you were born into human history. You lived a great life. And at the end of it, you hung and died a criminal's death on a cross. I'm like that apostle, Peter. I'm a sinner. And right now, I'm asking you to forgive me. Jesus, please forgive me. Because of your death on that cross, your ultimate sacrifice for me, please forgive me now. Jesus, I believe that three days after dying, you rose again. And I believe, Jesus, you're alive today. I make a decision to leave my old ways. I'm going to live a big life. I'm going to live for you, Jesus. Not because it's popular, but because it's right. And at the end of my life, I want to stand before you, having done the right thing. I make you, Jesus, the Lord of my life. And from here on in, to the best of my ability, I'm going to follow you. Thanks, God, for hearing my prayer. If you've just prayed that prayer with me there, and you really meant it, then you know what? God has heard your prayer. He has absolutely heard your prayer. And everything's changed. If that's you today, and if you prayed that prayer, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to get you to stand or call you to the front or anything like that. But while everyone else's eyes are closed, I want to pray for you. If you prayed that prayer, can you just indicate it to me and I'll pray for you? Just raise your hand. If you prayed that, pop your hand in the air and I'll pray for you. Anyone like that? Thanks. Anyone else? Let's wait for a moment. Anyone else? You prayed that prayer, but everyone else's eyes are closed. Just pop your hand up and I'll pray for you. Okay. Anyone else? Lord, thank you for my friends here, God. Thank you. Today, he has made a decision, a commitment to the God who made him. I thank you. You have accepted him and embrace him. And I pray, God, now give him the courage from today forward to serve you with his life and his dreams and his ambitions, to make a difference with his life, to live a great life, a kingdom life. In Jesus' name, amen.